Today we finish up a series called Dangerous Prayers. We've started off 2019 in 21 days of prayer, and we've been praying, Lord, search me, Lord, break me, and today we pray, Lord, send me. And today I want to begin with a game, and I'm going to be honest, it's kind of a dumb game. You will probably never play this game again because I made it up. Uh, It's called the Guess the Theme Game. Here's how this game works. I'm going to give you various clues for a party. And you're going to have to, based on the clues I give you, guess out loud what type of party it is. All right, what the theme, not, not the type of party, but the theme of the party. All right, so imagine you walk into a room and it is decked out with blow up palm trees and they're putting flower lays around people, you know, and, and other people are carrying around coconuts. So what kind of party is it? A, party. a, a what party? A Hawaiian party. I thought you said a wine party. <laughs> Going, I think you missed a couple of clues in there. Yes, a Hawaiian party, a beach party. All right, very good. Now imagine you walk into the room and it's made to look like a spaceship cockpit. And there's people walking around in Star Trek uniforms or other people carrying lightsabers and Chewbacca hats, you know, or there, maybe there's a TARDIS in the corner. You know, what kind of party is that? Sci fi. Very good. All right, one more. You walk in, and there's a huge buffet table, and it's brightly colored, and there's tacos and nachos and burritos, and what kind of party is it? Mexican Mexican party. A fiesta, even better. Either that or you just walked into Panchero's. I mean, (laughs) okay. Now, my question is, how did you know what kind of party it was? The decorations. Yeah, the things around the food, right? Basically, you look at the clues And you put it all together and you can understand the theme. How awkward is it when you walk into a place and you don't understand the theme that is there? Like if you went to a funeral, but you thought you were walking into a wedding, awkward. (laughs) Or or imagine you go to work tomorrow or or you go to school and and you talk to a coworker or a classmate and you say, hey, what'd you do this weekend? They said, ah, we went to the movies. Oh, really? What'd you go see? And their response was, you know, I... I can't remember the name of it, but it, it, started, it got some guy in a mask and he was running around carrying a knife and people were running and screaming and he was just knocking them off. I mean, I, but I, I don't remember the name of it, but it was a pretty good romantic comedy. I'll, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and you're looking at him like, I think you missed something. Uh, you didn't just describe a rom-com. That's a horror film. Now, some of you guys are going, I don't see a difference. Uh, <laughs> but clearly... You look at all of the clues and you put it together and figure out the theme. Well, believe it or not, I think that many of us approach the Bible and we miss the clues and we miss a central theme because we look at the Bible and we find the passages that just affirm what we already believe, that we want to believe this. So we're going to find the Bible passages that will fit that. And now we feel great about it. Or we we read the verses that just comfort us, make us feel better, you know, give us little warm fuzzies, you know, the kind of thing that you can put on a coffee mug or a t-shirt and and we just stick with those. But what in the process we're doing is we're missing the clues that God has littered throughout the entire scriptures of this theme of sending. And so today we're going to do something very, very different. Uh, If you're a first time guest with us, I I need to give a couple of comments to understand why today's going to be very different. First of all, what's different is that if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know I'm thrilled you are here. Honestly, almost every single week, I tell the people who are first-time guests who may not follow Jesus yet that we actually started Riverwood Church for people just like you. And that is absolutely true. 
And, and so if you're on a spiritual journey of trying to figure out, is this whole thing about Jesus true? Did he, was he really the son of God? Did he really die on a cross for the forgiveness of sins? We want to be the type of church that welcomes you warmly, that you can bring your questions, and we want nothing more than to help you find a Jesus, understand this gospel, and make the central part of your life, because we truly believe it will change everything. But I just have to be honest and let you know that today's message is really aimed at people who already follow Jesus. Now, that does not mean I'm kicking you out. It doesn't mean that you should get up and leave or pull out your phone and just start, you know, surfing Facebook or, you know, play a game. No, I'm going to invite you, listen in. Because my hope and prayer is that you will one day follow Jesus, that you will make him the center of your life. And by doing so, you will now have a better idea by listening today of understanding, if I choose to follow Jesus, here's what my life should possibly look like. Second thing is, if you're a first-time guest with us, we open up the scriptures every single week, and typically we just stick with one passage, and we just try to unpack that together. That, mostly that's because we tend to work through just books of the Bible. Starting in March, we're going to go through the book of Daniel. Uh, later this year, we're going to go through the book of Philippians. You know, it's what we, we just tend to do as a church. But even when we do a topical study, like we're going to do in February, we still just tend to take one passage in the scripture and study that, trying to help, you know, pull everything out and see what it means to follow Jesus based on what this is teaching us. But today, I'm not going to do that. Today, I'm going to basically blast you with a biblical fire hose. Because my point is, today, I don't want to just go to one passage and let you see a theme of being sent I want you to see that this is littered throughout the entire scriptures. And so normally I invite you to open up your Bible. Today, I'm going to ask you to just listen. Now, if you feel like you're really fast, maybe you were really good at, you know, you know, as a kid growing up, what, what was that called? Were you flipping your Bible really, really fast? Bible quizzing. Yes, thank you very much. Maybe you were really good at that. If you feel like you can keep up, by all means do. But for the rest of us normal people, what we're going to invite you to do is just write down the references on this, the blank page in your handouts, and then you can go back and look at these further. Or hopefully later today, the sermon will be up on the website, and you can go and re-listen to this message, and then you can get them written down and possibly even go and discover more passages. But today, what we're going to do is I'm going to just start, t- start you in Genesis, and we're just going to start skipping through, and we're going to see the theme of scent. So Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would help us to be overwhelmed at the idea that you are a sending God. And not only did you send people, but you even sent yourself. You came for us. And so therefore, that should change how we live, that we should be sent. So that's why, God, I ask right now that you would open up our hearts and our minds and our lives completely to you. That you not only just search us and break us, but that ultimately you will help us to be like Jesus and that we would be sent. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. The theme of sending begins in Genesis chapter 12 with this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Before chapter 12, Abram, who later gets renamed Abraham, is just a footnote. He's just mentioned a couple of times, like multiple names within the scriptures. But suddenly in verse 12, he becomes a prominent character in God's redemptive story. And you notice a couple of things that God says to him. First is, go. I'm sending you 
to the land that I will show you. Maybe God's saying, hey, don't worry about asking directions because I know you're a guy. You wouldn't ask. So just start traveling and I'll tell you when you're finally there. Okay, that joke didn't work. I'll, I'll cross that one out. So God says, go to the land I'll show you. But then he says, and I will make your name great. How many people here have heard of Abraham? Yeah, almost every hand goes up. His name was made great. Almost all of us know him, whether because we sang the song when we were kids, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons of Father Abraham, or it's simply because you grow, grew up within, for many of you, you grew up within Christianity, and, and Christians claim Abraham, that, that they see themselves as spiritual descendants of him. But also the Jews claim Abraham. They, they are the biological descendants of Abraham. But did you know that also the Muslims claim Abraham? Because his first son through uh, Sarah's servant, Hagar, was Ishmael. And the Muslims believe that they are descendants of Ishmael. So three major religions all claim Abraham as part of their religion. I would say God fulfilled what he was said to Abraham, that he would make his name great. But that wasn't the only thing that God sent to him. Did you notice that the reason God was sending him wasn't just to make Abraham great and to create a nation out of him. It was for him to be a blessing. You've got to realize that every time God sends someone, it is to be a blessing to someone else. And we see this continue in our next story, the story of Joseph. Joseph's story starts in Genesis chapter 37. It begins with Joseph being the son of Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who's later going to be renamed Israel. And Jacob ends up having a couple of wives and then their wives give their servants to him. So he basically has four wives and through those four wives, he ends up having 12 sons, but his favorite wife is Rachel and Rachel couldn't have kids for a while. And finally she didn't, she gave birth to a son, Joseph. And so Joseph held a special place in Jacob's heart. And so Jacob doted all over Joseph, gave him a coat of many colors and just, he was his favorite and the other brothers were jealous. They hated it. And, and this kind of made Joseph a bit of a spoiled, cocky kid. And so the brothers were like, that's it. I'm done with this dude. And so one day Joseph's heading out and to, to see his brothers and they see him coming. They're like, let's kill him. And one of the brothers like, no, nah, let's, let's not kill him. Let's, let's just throw him in this pit. So they throw him in a cistern in a well. And then when some slave traders came by, they pull him out and they sell him off to the slave traders who haul him off to Egypt. And they think that's it. He's done. They, they take the favorite coat that Jacob had given to his son. They cut it up. They put some blood on it. And then they claim that they found it in the wilderness so that dad would think his favorite son was dead. Well, Joseph ends up getting taken to Egypt, sold off to an official named Potiphar. Well, because Joseph ends up living life very purely and as a man of integrity, he ends up kind of rising up and becomes the head of the whole entire house. Well, he was also a good looking guy. And when Potiphar was off on business, Potiphar's wife decided, I'd like to have this cute little guy as my own. She starts hitting on him and he says no. And she gets mad and she claims that he was hitting on her. Potiphar gets enraged. That's my wife. So he throws Joseph into prison. While in prison, Joseph ends up meeting a couple of guys who have dreams. He interprets their dreams for them, which ends up working out for Joseph a couple of years later when Potiphar has a dream. And one of the guys remembers and goes, I mean, not, sorry, not Potiphar, but Pharaoh. The Pharaoh has a dream and, and the guy says, oh, there was this dude in prison who interpreted my dream and it, it came true. So the Pharaoh sends for Joseph, pulls them out of prison. Joseph stands before him, listens to the dream and interprets it. 
And the Pharaoh is so impressed, he puts Joseph in charge of everything. Because the dream was that God was going to give Egypt seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. And the famine was going to be so great, it would almost be like they'd swallow up the seven years of greatness. And sure enough, it happened. Seven years of abundance came. Egypt starts storing everything they can during those seven years. And then the famine hit. And the famine didn't just hit Egypt. It ended up hitting Israel. It, 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 sorry, I guess they're not totally known as Israel yet. But it hits the Middle East where Abraham's descendants are living. And so, they, so Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt hearing that there was food. And they show up. And there is their brother, Joseph. Now, they didn't recognize him. They figured he was either a slave or dead by this point. And so they don't know it's him, but he knows it's them. And he eventually reveals himself to them, and they freak out. They, they think this is it. Like, he's going to get revenge. We tried to kill him. He's now going to kill us. And that's when Joseph says this. This is uh, chapter 50, verses 19 and 20. But Joseph said to them, to his brothers, Do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do you realize what Joseph is saying? That you, you guys meant evil for me, but God was actually at work. He actually sent me ahead of you to help get everything ready so that our family could live. In other words, Joseph was sent to be a blessing. It continues into the next chapter. I mean, uh, the next book. In Exodus, we see that the Israelites have continued to grow. They become so numerous within Egypt that the Egyptians begin to feel that the Israelites will just end up taking over. And so they put Israel into slavery to them. And this continues for 400 years. The people are crying out to God. So God sends someone to bless them. He sends Moses. There's a moment where Moses, after he'd fled Egypt, after murdering an Egyptian soldier, thinking that they're going to take his life, he flees, ends up in Midian. He ends up marrying a Midianite woman, and he ends up just becoming a shepherd. And he lives in the wilderness. And one day as he's out with his sheep, he sees a bush burning, except it's not burning up. And that, that intrigues him. So he approaches it. And God speaks through the bush. And he says this to Abraham, Exodus 3, 9 and 10. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And if you've read the story or seen the movie, you know that that's exactly what happens. Moses goes to Egypt. The people are brought out through miraculously through the plagues and, and crossing the Red Sea. And God uses Moses as a great prophet to lead the people. Eventually, Israel settles back into what they knew as the promised land, the very area that Abraham had settled. And there they were going to be a nation that was supposedly going to follow God. But problem came up. It's called sin. It's called selfishness. The, the people of Israel, even though they had been miraculously rescued out of Egypt and told the story to their descendants, the people eventually just made it a story and it was no longer personal and they wandered from God. Some of them even going so far as to worship other gods. 
And so God would send them prophets. Prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Obadiah. These prophets would come in and say, come back. Don't worship these other gods. Don't let your heart be caught up in this other thing. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He's laid out all of these laws. Just follow the laws. Give your heart to God. Come back. And sometimes it would work. But many times it did not. And God would warn the people. And he would bless them with a hard saying. If you don't repent, I'm going to have to send another nation to come. And I'm going to take you into exile and the people wouldn't listen to it because it wasn't what they wanted to hear. And sure enough, a couple of times, Israel ends up being taken into exile. And they're living apart from the land that God had promised them. But God would continue to send them prophets. And he would also send them leaders. Leaders like Ezra, who helped establish the law back into the life of the people, reading it to them. And they repented and began to worship God again. Leaders like Nehemiah, who helped build the wall so that Jerusalem could be protected and blessed. Leaders like David, who would become a great king, who, who became a prototype for Jesus. God would just send these leaders. He would send these prophets to bless the people. But time after time after time, the people left God in their hearts and in their actions. And that's when God finally said, I'm going to send myself. John 3.16, Jesus himself says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, what the people needed was not another Abraham who would just bless them and bless the world. They needed Jesus, the true and better Abraham, who was going to bless the world through his death on a cross so that their sin could be forgiven and bless the world through his, through his disciples who would go and spread this message. God didn't just send them another Joseph who was going to go and help prepare things to help rescue them from a, a famine. He sent the true and better Joseph who was there to help rescue people from a spiritual famine that kept them apart from God. He didn't just send another Moses who's going to lead them out of slavery. He sent Jesus, the true and better Moses, who's going to lead people out of the slavery to sin. See, God came himself so that we could truly be rescued. In other words, God is a missionary God. When God the Father sent his own son, he wasn't being like the boss who just makes everyone else do his work. No, God is the type of God where he's willing to step in himself and do it as well. And so he sends Jesus to bless us with the gospel so that our lives could be changed, our sin could be forgiven, we could come back into a relationship with God. If you're part of the Riverwood family, you've heard me say this multiple times, that when God created Adam and Eve, he created them with his image in them. But when Adam and Eve sinned, that image was destroyed. And so God's goal is to restore that image within humanity. That image is the image of Jesus. And so we say here at Riverwood all the time that God wants us to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. Well, do you realize then, if you are going to live like Jesus lived, it means you need to be sent like Jesus sent. Because Jesus himself, after his resurrection, 
appears to his disciples in John chapter 20, verse 21. And he says, uh, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, if you want, you could try and say, well, that, that was just to his 12 disciples. But no, I would actually argue that that's for any of his disciples. To be a disciple of Jesus merely means that you are trying to follow him. And if you are a Jesus follower, then I think Jesus would say to you, just as the father sent me, so I am sending you. So in my opinion, you can look at the clues and see that there is a theme of sending. I mean, you can try to wash it away. You can just try to get back to the verses that make you feel good. But if you're honest, you will see that throughout all of this, God is sending people to be a blessing. So now the question is, how are you going to respond? Are you going to be like Jonah? Uh, Jonah was a prophet that God said, hey, I'm sending you to Nineveh. The Ninevites were cruel, evil people. Jonah hated them. He was racially against them. So he said, no. In fact, his no was so strong, he hopped on a ship headed the opposite direction. And that's when we get the famous story of a storm coming up, Jonah being thrown overboard, a fish or whale swallows him up, comes back and vomits him up on the beach, and then he heads off to Nineveh. He probably smelled amazing when he walked into Nineveh. You, you, you could be like Jonah. Hearing this morning that God is saying, I'm sending you. And you could say, Lord, no. No, I, I like my life. I, I just, I like how I'm living. No, no. Or you, you could be like Moses. That when, when God appeared in that burning bush to Moses and says, I'm sending you to Egypt, Moses began trying to find all sorts of excuses. I, I, I don't think I really can. You know, I, I, I grew up in, in Egypt and, and I, I killed that soldier. They, they hate me there. I, I, you know, I don't know that the people really know who I am or what kind of God I represent. And God, I've got a stuttering and a speech impediment. I, I don't think I can do it. No, no, you're going to have to send someone else. I mean, sometimes we, as followers of Jesus, when we attend church, we think, oh, you know, it's the pastor. It's those paid professionals. They're the ones who share the gospel. I'm just going to let someone else do it. So, so you could be like Jonah and say no. You could be like Moses and say, send someone else. Or you could be like Isaiah, who in chapter 6 of the book that bears his name, walks in, t- in a vision to the temple that was so filled with God's glory and majesty It was like just the hem, the train of God's robe filled the whole place. It's how majestic, how huge, how amazing God was. And when Isaiah is in the presence of God, realizing just how pure and perfect and holy God was, he suddenly realizes how unpure and imperfect and sinful he was. And in that moment, he says, woe is me. I'm done for. Like, I'm going to die in this moment for no one can see God and truly live. And yet God sends an angel with a hot coal to touch Isaiah's lips and says, your sin is now washed away. You're now purified so that he could remain in the presence of God. And he is so overwhelmed by God's love and his grace in that moment that when God says, who will go for us? Isaiah raises his hand and says, here I am. Send me. I think that's what God wants for you. I think God wants you to not give the Jonah response, to not give the Moses response. I think he wants you to give the Isaiah response. Because I believe that God wants to bless this world 
and he wants to use you to do it. So you may be saying, okay, Aaron, God is wanting to send me. I want to say, here I am, Lord, send me. I'll go. But where? Because so often we think that to be sent means that means I've got to go to Africa. I've got to go to, you know, Iceland. I've I've got to go someplace far away. Well, Jesus gives us an idea in Matthew chapter 28. As Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he's now standing on a hill 40 days later with his disciples. And he's giving them some last commandments before he ascends to heaven. And he says this to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, guys, I've died on the cross. Sin has been defeated. And now I have risen again from the dead. I took my life back up. I, therefore, have authority over all things, even death itself. It's out now because I have all authority. I am sending you under my authority. Obey me. And he gives some commands here. He says that they're to make disciples. And, and there's three things he says. They're to, to baptize them, to teach them. But the first thing is that they have to go to them. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you. Just as the Father sent me, I am now sending you to make disciples of all nations. But did you know that that word go can be translated as you are going? So often we think of go as to go there, but maybe it's also go here. That as you are going to work, as you go into your neighborhood, as you go to school, as you go to the park, as you go on vacation, as you go to the store, that as you just go about doing life You are making disciples. You're sharing the gospel. You're living it out through your actions and you're saying it in your words. Maybe where you already are in life is exactly where God wants you to be. He just needs you to view it differently. That you don't just go to your job to make some money to pay the mortgage and put food on the table. Maybe you go into that job to be a blessing and to live out your faith in Jesus Maybe you're not just going to school to learn something. Maybe the reason God has you right there is so that you can be a blessing to your classmates and your teachers and professors. And you might help them understand the gospel. Perhaps the reason that you're part of that book club, perhaps the reason you got really involved in that sport, perhaps the reason you're in these things isn't just because it's for your own enjoyment. Maybe it's so that also God can do something beautiful through you. Where are you being sent? It might be where you already are. Now, I'm not going to deny some of you, God's going to have a job change for you. In the next year, two, three, four, you may end up being sent somewhere else. Uh, Some of you, you may end up hearing, as Riverwood's talking about one day, planting a church somewhere else. And you may hear that call to go, to go to that new community and help plant that new church. Some of you, As you pray and really submit yourself to God, saying, Lord, search me, Lord, break me, Lord, send me, you're going to hear God actually calling you to the ends of the earth. And you're going to need to be obedient and go. And when that moment comes, we're going to rejoice. We'll be sad for us that you're leaving. We know that you're going because God is sending you and you're being obedient. And that needs celebrated. 
so often before God will send us over there, he wants us to realize that we're also sent right here. So will you go? Then that brings up another question. All right, so I, I'm to go into these places, but who? Who am I supposed to reach? To whom am I being sent? When we moved to Waverly, um, I tried to do these community interviews. I did about 50 of them. And I literally had three of them say to me, I don't think Waverly needs a new church. I'm just flat out. Like one said, you're going to hurt the, uh, the existing churches. Another person said, well, we really have just about every type of church we, we need here in town. And I actually had one guy say, yeah, I think we're good. And, and if we don't have it here, we got it in Cedar Falls. So yeah, we, we don't really need you. So I needed to come up with something to help people realize like, no, no, it's, it's okay for us to come here. And my heart really wasn't to take people from other churches and just make them part of our church, that our heart really was for those who didn't know Jesus. And so I was trying to rack my brain. How can I help people understand this? And so I started studying up some of the statistics. This area, Waverly and Bremer County, is growing. Back in uh, 2000, about 80% of people claimed church membership. But by 2010, that had dropped to about 70%. And I suspect as as the area and region has grown, that it has continued to drop. In Waverly alone, there's about 30% of people that attend church. Somewhere between 30 and 40%. Now, that's actually high compared to most of America. America's somewhere around 15, 17% church attendance. So you may be thinking, well, wow, there's already a lot of church attenders here. But what I started telling people was, you know what, let's just pretend that 50% of Waverly, and we're not even talking Bremer County with its 25,000 people or, or over into Butler County or you know, other regions. We'll just stick with Waverly, 10,000 people, and we'll just pretend that 50% attend church. And those 50% that attend church, they all have a dynamic, growing relationship with Jesus. Now, I think we all know people, maybe some of us had this story ourselves, who have gone to church and we didn't know Jesus. My, that was my parents' story. They went to church their whole entire lives growing up and had never heard the gospel. Didn't know it until their mid-20s and it changed their life. But we're just going to pretend that 50% of Waverly's go into church and they're actively growing in their faith. That means 50% are not. Well, in a town of 10,000, that means 5,000 people do not have a church home and do not have a vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus. They would be what we call spiritually disconnected. And so we just want to reach those people. In fact, we're not even trying to reach all 5,000. We are merely praying for God to give us 10%. 10%. God, give us a tithe. Do you realize that would be, that 10% of 5,000 would be a church of 500 for Waverly, Iowa, that would be a mega church. That would be a large church. And that means there's still 4,500 other people who do not have a church home, who do not have a relationship with God through Christ. And they also need to know the story. So I tried to help people see, we're not here to steal Christians from other churches. We're not here to try to be the, the biggest and the best. We're just merely here to reach 10%. So a couple of years ago, in teaching a very similar message to this. I, I wanted my church family to understand that, that we are all being sent. And so what we said was that to reach the 10, we need to each reach 10. In other words, we each need to reach 10 people. And so I passed out bookmarks with 10 little blank lines on them. And so we, we wrote down names on those and I was encouraging people to pray. And so I was very tempted to bring that up today. But then I thought, you know what? For some people, it may just seem almost too much. To, to like try to reach 10 
people. That almost might seem overwhelming. And if it's overwhelming, you know, I'm probably not going to do anything. And so recently I was hearing that some people, instead of making a New Year's resolution, they decide that they're going to pick one word to be their word for the year. And that's going to kind of be the theme for them. And I latched onto that idea and I thought, that's it. Instead of asking you today to try to reach 10, I'm going to ask you, who's your one? Who is the one person that you feel sent to? Someone that you know deeply and desperately needs Jesus. Who is that one? Or where is that one place? Is it your workplace? Is it your classroom? Is it your sports team, your book club, your hobby group? What is that one place that you feel sent to? So so right now, I, I just want you to take a moment. If you are a Jesus follower, whether this is your first or 40th time at Riverwood, I want you to just take a moment and I want you to think to yourself, who is my one? Who who is that one person or who is that one place that you feel like God right now is saying, that's where I'm sending you because I want you to go to them and to be a blessing. All right, you got them in your mind? Now you may be thinking, okay, so does this mean I have to like come up with some sort of like presentation, some script? I've got a, you know, like a a sales pitch. No. There are all sorts of things that I could give you, but today I'm going to try and give you something really, really simple. It's just prayer, care, share. What I'm going to encourage you to do is to think of that one person or that one place and every day pray for them. Uh, This Thursday, we're going to be sending out the uh, Riverwood uh, email. Um, In that, I'm going to have 10 biblical prayers that you can pray for someone who does not follow Jesus. So what you will be able to do is is print that off, stick that in your Bible, and then you will have a tool to pray biblical prayers for someone who does not know Christ. If you do not get the email, if you've been a part of the Riverwood family for a while, it probably means it's going to your spam folder. So look in your spam folder, tell your email program, it's not spam. I really do want to hear from Riverwood. And then you can get that. If you're not getting it, I encourage you to uh, just on your connection card, just write your email address and then just write next to it news and notes. And we will make sure that you get the weekly news and notes email. And this Thursday you can have that. But what I do is I set an alarm on my phone to go off every day at 8 a.m. to remind me to pray. You could do that for your one. Maybe it's a watch. You you set your watch to go off a couple of times during the day, and that's your reminder to pray. Maybe you need to put a a, a post-it note on the mirror as you're getting ready in the morning or something in your car. Do something to remind yourself to pray every single day for your one, for that one person or that one place. But then as you pray for them, what's going to happen is God's going to develop within you a heart to care for them. And so I'm going to encourage you, find the ways to show them that you care. If it's a coworker, invite them out to lunch. If it's a friend at school, invite them to come over to your house to play. Maybe it's, you know, invite someone to go out to the sports game or to the movie. Uh, Maybe it's inviting a neighbor family over to just have dinner and play games at your house. Find ways to show them that you care. Maybe when it snows, you go shovel or in the summer, you, you mow their lawn. Maybe you take something over to their house, just cookies or or something. Find the ways to let them know you care. And it isn't because you're treating them like a project so that you can accomplish something, get this done. It's because you love them because God loves them. So prayer, care, and then share. Pray that God gives you an opportunity to share the gospel with them. It means you got to live out the gospel. And when you screw up, you admit it. 
But ultimately, it means you are going to have to use the words. And my encouragement is, don't worry about exactly what to say. Just talk about what's already natural in your life. If you're married, you probably have no problem talking about your spouse. If you love football or or hockey or baseball, you probably could talk about your favorite sports team. If you're really into computers or maybe, you know, a certain company that you really like or an organization, you you could talk about that naturally. And so if you are Jesus-centered and you love Jesus, just talk about what you naturally love. And out of that, you can share about your faith and just maybe get the opportunity to invite them to place their faith in Jesus as well. Because do you realize that if God opens their eyes to the gospel and they put their faith in Jesus, their eternity changes, their identity changes. You have just blessed them. That's why God sent you. So where are you sent? Possibly where you already are. Who are you sent to? Who's your one? And then for that one, would you just do prayer, care, and share? And if you do, you will be living out the theme of Lord, send me. So Heavenly Father, I pray that we as a church body be sent, that we would collectively be sent on this mission to let people know about Jesus. And as part of that, we would each individually take up the mantle. Lord, I pray for anyone who is here today who is not a follower of Christ yet. I'm so glad they're here. Lord, would you open their eyes up to the fact that you have blessed them by dying on the cross for their sin, rising again from the dead so that we could follow a risen Savior. And that right now they would completely surrender their life to you, confessing their sin and making Jesus the center of their life. God, for those who already know you, who've been following you, God, I just want to ask you to forgive us for just taking this beautiful, powerful message and keeping it to ourselves of just allowing it to be something that's a part of who we are, but it's not something that we share. God, would you just reorient our eyes and our motives that we would realize that you are sending us into that one place or to that one person to bless them, to bless them with your love, to bless them with your grace, to bless them with the gospel. God, to do this, we're going to need courage. That's why we continue to pray, Lord, search me. Reveal to me the things that do not look like Christ. And then, Lord, break me. Break me of my sinfulness, my selfishness, the things that do not represent Jesus, so that you can then send me. Because, God, you sent Jesus for us, so we want to be sent to take Jesus to others. So, God, would you use us for your glory? And would you give us the joy of this year in 2019 of seeing someone's life changed because we were willing to pray a dangerous prayer? And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.